good to be at church, isn't it? It's good to be uh, amongst God's people. Uh, I was just reminded, if any saw me flicking on my phone, I wasn't checking Facebook, I promise. Uh, I had a screenshot from Twitter uh, from a few weeks ago. Uh, there's an Anglican minister, Sam Albury, uh, who I follow on Twitter, and he said this uh, on Saturday night uh, a couple of weeks ago. He says, we've spent six days being told by ourselves and by others to boast in our looks, our achievements, our relationships, our kids, security, homes, grades, finances and friendships. Tomorrow we meet together to remind one another to only and always boast in Christ. It's good to come to church to be reminded that our only boast is in Christ. Let's just pray and ask that the Lord would bless us as we read, as we open his word and as he ministers to us. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray and I just give you thanks for your word, Lord. I give you thanks for the truth of your word and I ask that you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, thank you that the wee man, as he was up here earlier, uh, recognised that from this pulpit we talk about Jesus. Jesus is the name we honour. And Lord, I pray that in my sermon today, and all that is said and all that is done, that we would make much of Jesus. Lord, be with us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you could turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. As you know, Graham and I have been going through uh, this series uh, over the past number of weeks. I'm going to read it from my phone because it's a different uh, version that I've got. So just to make it slightly easier. Uh, so it's the NIV uh, going to be reading from. Chapter 4 says this. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintisha to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and in receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, but what I do desire is that more is credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I'm going to be honest uh, with you uh, and up front right at the very start. Uh, My aim in my message today is that those of you who are here who are Christians will be encouraged, will be uplifted as you consider uh, who you are in Christ, your privileged position in Christ. We said that a few weeks ago, that this letter is full of Jesus and you can't miss it. I think I said that over 70 times Jesus Christ's name is mentioned and you can't get away from that. Sometimes you go to churches and they read poems and they they read nice wee snippets for hearing whatever and you don't hear the name Jesus. It is Jesus who saves. And if you're here and you're a Christian today, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be uplifted as you consider your privileged position in Christ. But you know, on the flip side, if you're not a Christian, if you're here today and you are not in Christ, I want you to be challenged. I want you to be convicted about your perilous position outside of Christ. So if you're in Christ, you're in a privileged position. That's what the word of God teaches us. But if you're outside of Christ, then you're in a perilous position. As you know, Graham and I have been studying Philippians over these past uh, number of weeks in order to deliver two chapters, two sermons uh, each uh, over the four-week period. You know, since focusing on Philippians chapter 4, I must have had... Maybe a bit of an exaggeration, about a million, that's a sandy exaggeration, uh, about a million different ways that I thought we could tackle Philippians chapter 4. And I had this and I had that. And you know what hit me quite forcibly, mostly over the past few days, is that Philippians is written to, chapter 4 is written for the benefit and the encouragement of Christians. You know, you might be thinking to yourself, Tommy, you're hardly the person to be standing up and preaching if it's taken you four weeks to realise that this is written uh, to Christians. You reminded us a couple of weeks ago that Paul addresses the letter to the saints, the Christians who are at Philippi. Of course it's for Christians. But you know as well as I do that Bible verses are often thrown out like sweeties. What do I mean by that? Well, how many times have you been to the funeral? And there's a person who is there, it's their funeral. And for me to live is Christ and die is gain. What Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 is read out at that funeral. is applied to the person who is in the coffin. 
Even although the person in the coffin has only ever used the name of Christ as a swear word in their conversation. Sincerely we do this, but wrongly and dangerously too. All we do is provide false comfort to those who the Bible says are under the wrath of God because of sin. You know, there was an indictment on the false prophets within Israel. That in the midst of what God was proclaiming through his prophets, a message of judgment because of the people's sin. That those who are false prophets, this is what it says. It says, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace they say, when there is no peace. You know, Philippians 4, as I'm sure we'll see today, contains some wonderfully encouraging words, wonderfully uplifting words for those who have repented of their sin, for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and have been brought into the family of God with all of the blessings, with all of the wonderful things that that brings. But the sobering reality too is that these encouragements are only for those who are in Christ. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, you cannot claim the promises of Philippians chapter 4. And that's why if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I hope that you're challenged. That you're challenged to put your faith into Christ as those who are Christians here today have already done. Chapter 4 begins with the word therefore. If you look at the very start of chapter 4, therefore, if I said to you, I missed my train, I was going for the 10 o'clock train, but I missed my train, I could then say, therefore, I had to catch the 11 o'clock. So therefore is a joining word. So immediately we notice that what Paul's got to say in Philippians chapter 4 connects with what he's already said in Philippians chapter 3, right at the very end. Let's go back to verse 17 of chapter 3 to see what Paul uh, has been saying. He said, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you, as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and the glory in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know, explaining who the Philippians should emulate, Paul makes it very clear that there are two ways of living that result in two different outcomes. Those whose God is their stomach, those who are so focused on the here and now, who have no thought for God, who have no place for Christ in their lives, have no place with Christ in the next. What does he say? Their destiny is destruction. But in contrast, the Philippians, 
who along with Paul are united to Christ, united with Christ, and we learnt that in Philippians chapter 2, through faith in his person, through faith in the work of the cross, what does it say? They await their saviour from heaven will be transformed into his image when he comes again to bring everything under his control. Destruction for those who are outside of Christ, but glorification for those who are in Christ. Paul couldn't make it any clearer. Therefore, says Paul, therefore, because of this, because our hope is in the Lord who will come again, stand firm in your own strength, In your own righteousness, no, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. The song would go, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Paul tells his dear friends, because they are dear friends, Stand firm in the Lord. Paul then goes on to plead with these two women that we mentioned uh, just a couple of weeks ago. uh, Yodia and Sintisha. What did you see in verse 2? I plead with Yodia, I plead with Sintisha to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I don't want us to focus too much in the current situation. I think we dealt with that uh, a couple of weeks ago and it doesn't really say a lot about it, uh, to be fair. What I want to think of is what Paul refers to these women as being. They are his co-workers in the cause of the gospel along with Clement. And what does he then go on to say? He says, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life whose names are in the book of life let's turn to revelation chapter 20 a wee minute to learn more about this book of life that paul uh, is talking about here uh, and refers to his co-workers the church at philippi those who are christians as having their names in uh, the book of life revelation chapter 20 uh, and verse 11 Speaking of the judgment, the final judgment, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death, death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And listen to this. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Sobering words. In chapter 1, speaking of the new Jerusalem and the vision that the Apostle John had of the new Jerusalem, this is what he says in verse 22. I did not see the temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. 
On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. And listen to this, verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But only those... Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, the message is clear. Destruction for those who are outside of Christ. Glorification for those who are in Christ. For those who have their names written in the book of life. And Paul knew that of the church at Philippi. He knew that that even although Yodia and Syntyche were at odds with one another. Their names were in the book of life. And that was what mattered. His appeal to them was on the basis that their names were in the book. And that he was calling them to a higher standard of living. You know, it's no fluke in reminding, probably himself, in reminding the church at Philippi that their names were in the Lamb's book of life. That he then goes on in verse 4 to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. You know, the Christians at Philippi, and we too, if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, have a joy that is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on what happens to me tomorrow or the next day. It's not dependent on whether I have a job or don't have a job. Whether I can have kids or can't have kids. Whether I have the house that I want or whether I don't. The joy that comes from Christ is a joy that is solid. It is a joy that says we can rejoice in whatever the circumstances. Paul can openly say this. Paul isn't saying this thinking, I'm kind of putting this out there, but I'm not really thinking it's possible. Paul believes this is possible. He's seen it in his own life, and he knows that if we know who we are in Christ, we can have, and we do have, a joy that is immovable. You know, we don't know what became of the church at Philippi. I tried to look online, I tried to look at the commentaries, I tried to see if there was any historical evidence for what happened to this church at Philippi. I don't know whether Yodia, Syntyche, Clement, Epaphroditus, Lydia, the slave girl, or others within the church whose names that we don't know. I don't know if they ever made it to old age. I don't know if they, like many of their contemporaries, including the Apostle Paul, were brutally murdered for their faith in Christ. It's a high possibility that they were. But you know, what we do know is that through this faith in Christ, they had a joy that was immovable. They had a joy that was placed not in this life, not anything that death could take away, even if someone took their life from them for their faith in Christ. This faith in Christ was what would take them through. What did Paul say? Our citizenship is in heaven. Our joy is somewhere else. We get our joy from there so that today's circumstances, what happens in the here and now, cannot touch us. You know, when the 72 disciples that Jesus had sent out on the first missionary trip returned, and this is a verse that always, always challenges me. When they returned uh, from, the, from their missionary trip and said to Jesus all that had happened, uh, this is what they said. They said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This is found in Luke chapter 10. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to 
overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven, because that isn't going to change. You know, there are times where I'll preach a sermon and I'll walk away and I'll think, you know something, I think I was alright there. I think I hit the nail in the head there. And there are other times when I go away and I think to myself, that was boofing. That was absolutely murder. I never said anything that I wanted to say. I was all over the place or whatever. See if that was where I found my joy. I would be all over the place. But my joy is found in knowing that my name is written in heaven. That when Christ comes back, he's coming for me. He's coming for this wee guy in Motherwell. Who has got nothing else to his name other than Christ. That is my boast. That was Paul's boast. And that was why he could say to the church at Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Jesus says rejoice in that which is eternally secure. Paul says rejoice in that which is eternally secure. You know the assurances that Paul goes on to make here in Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus verse 19 my God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches or the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus the attitude that he's been able to adopt uh, in verse 11 what does he say I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I have learned verse 12 the secret of being content in any and every situation these assurances these attitudes that Paul has been able to adopt will only make sense to the Philippians will only make sense to you and to I in light of what I've already been talking about you know I could have spent most of our time here today dissecting these promises looking exactly at what the Greek word for anxious is or the Greek word for contentment is And there would have been a time and a place for that. And there is a time and a place for that. Please don't get me wrong. It could have been and it probably would have been helpful. Would it have helped you to believe them though? Would it have helped you to take them and say, I can trust in these promises? That's the question. Because our confidence to trust in God's promises here in Philippians chapter 4. Our confidence that we can also adopt the same attitude that Paul adopts in Philippians chapter 4. That confidence comes from knowing that if you're a Christian here today, God has already shown you that he's 100% for you. He's 100% for you in Christ Jesus. And sorting out your sin and dealing with your eternal destination. God can, can be trusted with our problems. He can be trusted with our needs. And we, like Paul, can be content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Quite simply because God has already dealt with the biggest problem that we could ever have had. And that was the problem of our sin. God has shown us that in dealing with our sin, he has our back. The peace of God that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, and he mentions it more than once, is assured 
is assured because in repenting of our sin and turning to Jesus for salvation we like the Philippians already have peace with God you can't have the peace of God unless you have peace with God what does Paul say in Romans chapter 5 he says therefore again therefore that joining word since we have been justified through faith he's been talking about Abraham and his faith that justified him since we have been justified through faith We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 6 of the same chapter says, you see, Romans chapter 5 verse 6, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us, demonstrates his own love for us. Lord, can I trust you with the anxieties and with the problems of today? God has already shown us, he's demonstrated his love for us. In this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if, this just blows me away guys, these are some of my favourite verses, I need these. For if, while we were God's enemies, if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? J.I. Packer says this, There is tremendous relief in knowing that God's love for me is utterly realistic. It is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can now disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself. And knowing that God was 100% for me in Christ. When I was 100% against him in my sin. I can be assured that God will not withhold any good thing from me. And knowing that when I was powerless to do anything of myself about my sin... The kind of powerlessness that I often feel that causes me to be anxious. That Paul tells us not to be. I can trust that his power in Christ was more than enough. More than enough to deal with my sin. I can be assured that not only is he willing to help. But that he's able to help. And knowing that my biggest need was a saviour. And that in Christ he became that for me. I can be content in knowing that whatever else I need. You can be content in knowing if you are in Christ. That whatever else you need. He will amply supply. For those who are in Christ. For those whose sins have been forgiven. For those whose names are written in the book of life. Philippians 4 offers great comfort. Philippians 4 and the full letter to be fair offers great encouragement. But the question I'm compelled to ask you is this. Are you in Christ? Are you here today in Christ? That is the question. That is the question you need to ask of yourself. I'm not asking if you're in church. I know you're in church. As Billy Graham used to say, 
Being in church makes you no more a Christian than being in a garage makes you a car. You're in church, I'm not asking if you're in church, I'm asking, are you in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, you have hope above hope. You have everything you could ever need. But the opposite can be said. If you are not in Christ, folks, you're in the worst position you possibly could be. Yes, everything might look okay. Yes, like the Apostle Paul in chapter 3, as Graham reminded of last week, he had a CV that could beat anybody's CV hands down. But because he didn't have Christ, he had nothing. The Bible tells us that if we are outside of Christ, we are in trouble. When Paul preached in Philippi, when he went to plant the church there, the response of the Philippian jailer when the gates were open, when Paul and Silas were praising God in prison, a really difficult situation, but they had joy because they knew uh, who they served. As the Philippian jailer was ready to commit suicide because he was worried that all the prisoners had escaped and he would be killed for dereliction of duty. The question he asked Paul, when he realised they were all still there, when he realised that although the gates were flung open, not only Paul and Silas but the others who were there were still there. The question he asked Paul was, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And the answer to that question that Paul gave to that man is what I tell you today, guys. What must you do to be saved? Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Let's just pray and give thanks. God and Heavenly Father, these are wonderful words. Wonderful words of encouragement, wonderful words of, of blessing. Lord, we forget how much we have if we are in Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for being discontent. Forgive us, Lord, for, for wanting more. When in actual fact, the things that we often want are not more, but are less. Because if we have Christ, if we have the knowledge and the joy of sins forgiven, Lord, we have everything we could ever want. Help us to start from that place, Lord. Help us to, if we are here and we are in Christ, to realise how much we have. And Lord, if we're here today, if there is anyone here today, Lord, who is not in Christ who has not personally acknowledged their sin before him, acknowledged their need for a saviour, acknowledged that up until that point, up until this point, they have been in rebellion against their maker. Lord, I pray that you would bring them to that point where they will ask that question, what must I do to be saved? And we thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of the gospel that says, believe in the Lord Jesus. So simple, yet massively profound, Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. 
We thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you. Every time I come to your word, Lord, I'm just reminded of how much I need it. We love you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.